dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey everybody and welcome back to Save This City Podcast. Or welcome to Save This City Podcast if it's the first time that you've caught this podcast. We're relatively new. This is episode 2 of the podcast and this week we're covering Flash, season 2, episode 2, Flash of Two Worlds, written by both Aaron and Todd Helbing and directed by Jesse Warren. And we're also covering Arrow Season 4, Episode 2, The Candidate, written by Mark Guggenheim and Kito Shimuzu, and directed by John Baring. I apologize if I got some of those names wrong. I'm terrible with pronouncing names. My name is Matt. I can pronounce that one. And I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That is the URL for this podcast. It's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like back episodes of the podcast, our social media and contact links, and podcatcher links. Please, if you can, take the time to leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whichever podcast app you use because it helps me stay more noticeable among all of the other great Flash and Arrow podcasts that are out there. Plus, if you leave a written review with what you like or what you don't like about the show, then I can make steps to hopefully improve it so that you like it better. Uh, and make me more popular. And the only reason to get more popular is because I like hearing other people's opinions, uh, and I like getting feedback uh, and hearing from you what you like about these episodes. So be sure to send emails to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at savethiscitypod.com. Uh, with any thoughts that you have about each week's episode, and I'm happy to include them in our feedback section. Guess that's enough about the podcast. Let's talk about Flash first, Flash of Two Worlds. I mean, overall, we now definitely have established a multiverse principle in the show, right? Uh, and that was the nice way to, to bring in Jay Garrick, uh, since in the DC Comics... Uh, he, uh, and once they kind of reorganized everything in DC, he, it became that he was from earth two and Barry from earth one. And I love that they referenced that directly in this episode with kind of Stein's explanation to Joe West. I'm sure that comic book fans, uh, love that. Um, I even knew that little bit, uh, but I don't know so much about those comics in general. Um, I pick up a lot more on the internet, so I can't tell you if the War of the Americas is from the comic book or not, if that, or if that was just something that the TV show threw in, the, the source of the helmet. Help me out with that if you wish. I'd be happy for somebody to straighten me out about that stuff. Like I said before, I'm not all that great on the comic book stuff. Our friend Donald, who will join the podcast from time to time, is much better at that stuff than I am. Uh, one other thing that I will note, though, is that this is two weeks in a row where Barry has actually killed somebody. Not put them away in metahuman cells, but killed them. And I wonder why that is. I mean, is this some kind of physics thing? Can they only be killed, these meta, these other metahumans from Earth 2? Can they only be killed because 
two of the same person can exist in the same universe indefinitely? Or is Barry just killing people? I mean, is this leading to a much darker Barry? Maybe even going beyond Errol, because Errol has strived to try and not kill people when he can keep from it. But uh, this is two episodes in a row where the solution to beating these metahumans has ended in the metahuman's death. I mean, it could just be circumstance. I mean, that seems most likely. But this is a television show about a comic book world, so I'm not going to take any kind of cards off the table about why these metahumans have to die uh, until you know some kind of pattern can truly be established that all of them do have to die. I want to talk about Patty uh, Spivet for a second. Uh, I know that in the Flash comics that she is someone who works with Barry uh, and I think really digs him personally, if I understand that right. So I can't help but wonder if we're setting up what I call the CW mandate for this season. I, I have this theory that any kind of network notes that come back to these showrunners, um, love triangle, we want love triangles. It seems like every CW show has to have some kind of love triangle in it either metaphorically or directly. And uh, I don't know, could this be pointing towards, because she really seems to dig him, she's a big fan of him, we know from the comics that she really digs him, is this going to create some kind of love triangle between Barry, Iris, and Patty? I mean, I certainly hope not, because it just doesn't work for me. I And still, the, the timing seems weird, because Iris has to get over Eddie, more or less, before any of that could happen anyway. At least I think so. Um, otherwise, I did like the Patty Spivet character. I I liked her persistence. Uh, and with the past that you get about her dad being killed by those two brothers who would later become Metas, uh, you want to root for her right out of the gate of this episode. And I think the actress Chantel Van Santen, I think is how you say her name, um, she seems to be up for it for the most part. I mean, she seems to be up to being able to play this character. So I'm on board with having that character uh, from the comics in the show, unless it is only to serve that CW love triangle mandate, then I wouldn't care for it that much. But if she becomes a part of the team, uh, works, you know, on that side of it primarily, then I'm okay. As for Garrick himself, uh, the original Flash, the Crimson Comet, it was nice to see kind of that evolution of him being trustworthy in Barry's eyes by the end of this episode, but I'm not really sure that it was completely earned in the space of time that it happens. Um, I'll get to that more in a moment, but I, I still really liked seeing the development of his relationship with Caitlin uh, and him being, you know, really, he's the real hero in this particular episode because he's a guy without any powers. He's kind of sacrificing himself to help the greater good against an Earth 2 meta. So really like that, that he, you know, and then he plays it off. Well, just took a few punches, um, liked him. But back to the Barry accepting Garrick thing, you know, I know that the one person in the world that Barry would probably still trust is Iris. And given the feelings that he's had for her and their shared experiences, I, I can definitely see him listening to her. But it seemed like that talk just kind of flipped a switch in him. And I kind of felt that that cheated the six months of him giving himself reasons not to trust people. I guess they paid it off okay. It just seemed a little too quick to me. Because she's like says a few words 
and then Garrick says a few words, and suddenly it's back to Team Flash. That was the only thing that I kind of really found cheesy in this episode. Uh, it was that kind of talk between Iris and Barry. Otherwise, I really don't have too much in the way of complaining about this episode. Uh, some questions, maybe. Some worries about the CW mandate, like I mentioned. But no real complaints. Um, but if you do have some, let me know. Again, SaveTheCityPodcast at gmail.com or tweet at SaveTheCityPod or call 314-669-1840. And as for questions and worries... I'm still not quite done in that department, so let's continue here. What's going on with Dr. Stein, everybody, at the end of this episode? I mean, he helps them figure out the whole bit about the breaches between the universe, and he even learns Cisco's secret, and then collapses? Why? Uh, What's going on there? Does it have something to do with Ronnie? And right as he states, the biggest breach is right there in Star Labs. Um... And once again, I hate to say this, but I can't help but think of the CW mandate of some kind because we have Caitlin showing interest in Garrick, really. Uh, and it seems like she's starting to move on from Ronnie. But if this thing is happening to Stein is related to Ronnie at all, then you would have another one of those weird triangles. And again, this stage of the development seems all wrong because I feel like if Ronnie came back right now, uh, Garrick wouldn't really have a chance, and we don't even know how long Garrick's going to stay in this world. It just all seems kind of weird, but I'm just looking at all of the possible network mandate possibilities because that is the CW characteristic. What about this question, too? I know that Cisco is probably not wanting to let anyone know what he's what's going on, basically because he feels like that's how he can protect, protect his friends. Um... But something that I saw in both this week's episodes uh, that I really don't like, we know that lying never works, that hiding the truth never works. It always makes things worse when the truth comes out. And that's a really tired TV formula. Um, I am willing to give it a chance for Cisco because I feel like this power he has is really kind of the key to the multiverse story. I still feel that. Is it even possible that the, the biggest breach between Earth 1 and 2 is possibly Cisco himself? I mean, he's in Star Labs right now. For that matter, it, it could be Stein. It could even be Barry who's the breach. If you want to look at it, if it's a person, Stein and Barry were closest to the singularity when they closed it. Um, anyway, back to Cisco. I, I think his story... Despite this little hint of formula, it's it's going to be very compelling this season. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I did like the little crossover shot. Also, there, there were good bits of Cisco humor in here, like the crossover shot with the Air, Green Arrow's announcement and uh, Cisco saying he hated when uh, people put colors uh, in their superhero names, plus a whole bit about uh, liking Garrick's name for Eddie Slick, the Sand Demon. That was all good. That was all typical Cisco. So like that. Um, speaking of the Sand Demon and Earth 2 villains, I mean, we still really don't know anything about Zoom, and that's obviously going to be a slow burn for the at least the very first part of this season, When you and especially when you take into account the six months in the future crossover uh, scene from last week's Arrow. But, I mean, shouldn't Garrick have more information about Zoom? I mean, other than just he's the the fastest guy 
on it. He has to be the fastest guy. I mean, is that Zoom's quote-unquote evil plan just to make sure that he's the fastest in any universe? That really doesn't seem all that nefarious, but uh, I can imagine that Zoom's actual plan will probably be as much a slow burn as uh, finding anything out about him. Um, but it just seemed a little disappointing that Garrick, who should know this enemy intimately, uh, doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of information about him. And uh, this was unexpected. What about Iris's mother showing up? Joe's, I'm assuming, ex-wife. Why is she showing up now? I mean, we kind of had the parent in distress with Barry's father uh, last season, or is she going to replace that kind of role as a distressed parent in this season? Um, have no idea where that's going, so we'll have to see. And I guess lastly, there's the question about Harrison Wells. That was a pretty big bomb drop at the end. It's pretty obvious that when we see him, it's either Earth 2 or some other multiverse Earth or some other alternate timeline. But the questions that I come away with is, is this the actual Harrison Wells? Has Thawne come back and assumed Harrison Wells' identity in this alternate universe as well? Um, If he is the real Harrison Wells and not evil in any way, shape, or form even... Could he be conducting experiments at his version of Star Labs that have caused the big breach that Team Flash is seeing? And if for some reason that these two worlds would collide and Barry would see this Harrison Welts, how would he accept him, whether he's good or bad? That would be very interesting as well. And we'll just have to continue to watch and see if we get answers to those questions. I know I have more questions than answers in this particular episode, but that's kind of what I like about it. So, in conclusion, it's a really good episode. I I like this one a little better than last week's, actually, uh, despite, you know, those worries that I have about the CW mandate. Um, I I will have to see if any of that manifests itself, but I always worry about that kind of thing. They kind of did it with Arrow in season one, and I feel like they're in two, and I feel like they're going to do that again with uh, Flash, because they kind of did that in Flash last year, too, with Eddie and Barry. And Iris, so I, I worry about that. Anyway, uh, okay, that's enough rambling about that. Uh, this week's episode gets a couple of decimal points up from last week's, and I'm giving it an 8.2. And that's all I got on Flash. Let's go to Arrow now. I'm not sure if I have as much to say about Arrow this week as I did about Flash. Maybe so. Overall, again, it was a good episode, but... As opposed to Flash being better this week, I feel like this week's Arrow was not quite as good as last week's. Because despite how seemingly menacing this Lonnie Mation was, and it was nice that they threw in the Anarchy name there, even though I don't think anybody really refers to him by that name, I just didn't feel invested all that much in what he was doing. Maybe because I didn't feel all that invested in the Mayor story. And even Damien Dark's little spots of showing up or making a threat here or there, it, it just really didn't seem as menacing to me as uh, Damien Dark did last week. Last week, he was total badass. This week, you know, we'll talk about it in a little bit here. Um, the last few minutes of the episode, I guess, were much more interesting to me than the rest of it. But let's break it all down, I guess. Um, first, I'm going to talk about the flashbacks. I was really hoping that we were going to get something interesting this season with Oliver back on the island, but I can't feel very engaged right now. First off, for an island that no one is supposed to be able to find, 
evidently, you know, from what we've heard in the past, this island sure gets found a lot. And what really kind of bugged me was it just seemed like a bunch of American mercenaries using a bunch of English-speaking slaves. And and I don't know what those plants were, but I'm guessing it's to cultivate drugs. I I know there's got to be something more to it because... I can't imagine Amanda Waller's organization being even remotely interested if it were just that. I hope that what this set of flashbacks is really about isn't such a slow burn like last season's. Uh, also got to say that Stephen Amell's wig was just terrible. So I'm kind of glad that we had this gang at least give him a haircut by the end of the flashbacks. Uh, I will also say that it was pretty clever of Oliver to drop that first sentry uh, that found him on a landmine uh, so that he could infiltrate the group well. But it was still kind of pure luck that those mercenaries didn't kill him on the spot or even later at the camp. And I I think that's the biggest problem that I have with the flashbacks. Um, There's no real peril in them. There never has been because, you know, he has to survive in order to get to where he is in the present, right? And I think that the first season of flashbacks was interesting for me because it kind of gave us motivation and it filled in Oliver's backstory and his character development. And it created some intrigue. But for me, the the last season of flashbacks and, and looks like this season as well, they, they really only kind of created another venue for action sequences only. And and that's fine, but I, I just don't personally want that to be what the flashbacks are about. I'd much rather them inform us about who Oliver is rather than what Oliver does, if you get my meaning. Well, you know what? I'll save that for the end. Let's go to Thea first. First off, Will Holland, I, she's doing a great job. She's truly a badass in her close-up action shots. Now, I don't know how much of the stunt work she's doing, of course, uh, and uh, I don't imagine it's too much, but I'm sure she's trying to do what she can. It seems like everybody in that cast does. But when you have like those two shots of, of her fighting and you can see who she is, um, that seems pretty believable. When you cross that line with Thea uh, and the crazy kind of comes out, sometimes I think that Willa's performance seems slightly forced, but I'm going to give it a pass anyway because I don't know what they're going for there exactly. And Barrowman got a credit this week, so I was really hoping we'd see him uh, because I can't wait for the kind of I told you so moment coming from Malcolm Merlin in regards to Thea and the Lazarus pit. Um, I do feel bad for Thea because she didn't really ask for any of this. And at that moment of her reflecting on what her mom was going through when Slade was terrorizing them all and comparing that to Jessica Danforth. That was kind of a nice touching callback, actually, to all of the events that really kind of set Thea down this unwanted path. If it wasn't for Slade, then Thea wouldn't have went with Malcolm, and, and this whole situation may not have happened. But now, Laurel has taken her right back to the belly of the beast, back to the lion's den, and with some extra cargo. And I'll get to that more on that in just a second. But, I, I mean, what can... Merlin, the new Roz, really do. I mean, Malcolm warned Oliver that Thea would be different, though I don't understand why this kind of change would manifest itself over time, as Oliver speculates, instead of immediately. To me, coming back from death is 
pretty immediate thing. So why does the change take so long? Anyway, uh, I'm sure they'll explain that. But once again, Thea is going to have to try and get through all of this somehow. And I'm hoping that Malcolm can help. I can't see any reason why he wouldn't at this particular point since he since, you know, he is her father. So we'll have to see how it all pans out. I'm I'm still holding judgment on, on what's going to happen here. But, of course, the other big thing about the Lazarus Pit is the fact that I guess Laura thinks that she can bring Sarah back if Thea came back. And uh, that sounds awfully dangerous. Uh, and ugh, that was creepy, that ending shot with Sarah's corpse there. I mean, she's been dead a long while, so... I guess my big question about the Lazarus pit is, is it completely restorative or if they do restore Sarah, will she be kind of a zombie Sarah uh, or at least zombie looking? Um, that's obviously what Laurel's going to try to do, which, you know, I guess the guilt she's feeling is, is admirable, but I, I worry about if she's really thinking this through and, if if you look what happened to Thea, I, I don't understand why Laurel doesn't think that Sarah would be any different. I guess she thinks that they'll find a way to help Thea, and if so, that they can probably help Sarah too. But I'm I'm not a big fan of this whole Lazarus Pit thing because again, it kind of it's kind of like the flashbacks. It takes a peril out of everything. You could just hit the reset button. I mean, can they do that for the bits and pieces of Ray Palmer too? They did it for Thea. Can they do it for Oliver's mom? What about Roy Harper? I mean, where where do you end it? Where Where's the line? I think they have to have a line somewhere down the line where the, the Lazarus pit is no longer effective or is destroyed or something like that. Because otherwise, it's again, it's just a reset button. And I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. As for like the guest heroes and villains in this week's story, I said up front that Lonnie was scary enough. I mean, he was pretty scary, but I, I really don't get why dark would farm this assassination out of Jessica Danforth anyway, and not just have his own, you know, ghost do it, not have hive do it. Plus it makes darks appearance in the episode really kind of have less weight to me. I mean, he was a complete badass last week and he was even charming at the same time. And, this week, he just seems much more like a, a thug boss. And I guess I like that he handles things personally, like last week when he went right into the meeting with the with the city heads and all. But even with Captain Lance, he's just kind of threatening Laurel like a big thug, too. And it's just, I, I don't understand how they can demean his character so much after making it so big last week, because it just didn't really seem the same. It was much less attractive uh, than last week's ep for me, at least that uh, that particular character. I don't I don't even really like this scheme of not having anybody run for mayor at all. And on top of that, I mean, why is anybody quote unquote running for mayor? I mean, Jessica Danforth is stepping up, and that was admirable, but she kind of collapsed in the face of her daughter being in peril. That's pretty normal. I I don't blame her for that at all. But I mean, if no one else is running you're kind of going to get the job, right? It, it seems if you run unopposed, you're probably going to get the job. And uh, just speaking to, to the characters of Jessica and her daughter, I mean, Jerry Ryan and, and Tierris uh, Scofby did just fine with what they were given, I guess. But at this point, it, it seems like that their characters were just a means to an end 
of getting Oliver to run for mayor. And I, I kind of find that a shame because I really adore Jerry Ryan anyway, ever since Star Trek Voyager. Um, and it just seems like that that character came in and out really quickly and there wasn't much for Jerry Ryan to do with it. Um, maybe she'll recur once in a while. Maybe we'll get an occasional guest star. Uh, but I'm not betting any money on it. I don't know if you are either. You also have this kind of personal vengeance thing that Diggle is seemingly going on about Hive. And I did like that talk between him and Laurel. But basically, you know, Diggle is kind of being a hypocrite because he was always preaching to Oliver against personal vengeance up to this point. And you know that his own quest for personal vengeance is going to end up getting him in trouble somewhere down the line. Uh, But at least they'll they'll be able to kind of hopefully wrap that storyline up in one way or another. Or not, they could drag it out for years. Who knows? Um, On to Felicity, I guess. Having to fire people. Is it because Ray put so much money in everything but his own company? Or is it the lack of his leadership since the explosion, of course, that has sent the company down a spiral? Anyway, Felicity's got to clean up this mess. Um, And there were some moments where she was kind of emotional. And I felt a little bit for her. But what does she do to come up with the solution? She lies to the board of directors. And it's not that I don't think that her and this Curtis Holt guy can't come up with with some kind of tech uh, in six months that will change things. I think that they can. By the way, I really like that Echo, uh, the actor, Echo's performance of Holt. I thought that was good. But it's just that, again, the whole lying thing is all about lying. And it's the TV lying formula again. Maybe that's a CW mandate, too. I don't know. And and finally, I guess you got Oliver here. Um, he's, I guess, slightly more lighthearted than, than the prior Arrow as the Green Arrow. But Oliver himself is allowing other people's opinions to get to him too much, I think. He's trying so desperately to kind of try and create a new image for himself that is acceptable to everyone in the world that... I'm worried that he's going to lose that kind of edge a little bit, or perhaps um, it might, you know, let his guard down to the point where he might overreact as, you know, maybe this flashback scene or this flash forward scene that we got last week is really him overreacting to something. I mean, we'll have to see, but anyway, uh, good luck running for mayor, Oliver. I hope it works out for you. We'll I guess we'll see as time goes on. And, that's all I have for Arrow. I guess in conclusion, not quite as strong as last week's episode. Still good. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to rate anything of these first four episodes of Flash or Arrow lower than an 8. This one gets an 8.0 as well. But it's kind of interesting how the, the script flipped a little bit for me. And I actually like Flash better this week than I did Arrow. Normally, I would like Arrow more. Uh, it seems like I, I just felt more compelled by the story in this week's Flash episode and by the characters than I did in this week's Arrow episode. Still, 8.0. And your feedback is next. Feedback. Your thoughts on this week's episodes. The first thing that I have to say is kind of an apology to all of you. You know, last week I was railing on about how you can go to... Got to go to the website and vote on these polls and everything. And, and poll daddy froze up on me this week. I can't get him to work on my website. The the polls that I were using, I'll have to figure out something else uh, in the future. And as I look for that, if you want to, you can tweet your ratings of each episode to me. 
and I'll uh, I'll list you as we go along. Uh, I did get one response on Twitter this week, and that's not bad considering how few followers I have. Follow me on Twitter. Save the City Pod on Twitter. Uh, but at M. Umer Masood gave Flash a rating this week with a 9.3. So uh, they thought it was a really strong episode. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, we might do something else, too. I talked about it before. There, there's a segment that I used to do called Three Words, where you try and describe each episode in three words. Uh, tweet your three words for me for Flash and Arrow each week. Your three-word descriptions, at Save the City Pod. And I'll include them in the podcast as well. And uh, as far as feedback goes, we did get a, an email. Yay! My first email. Thank you so much uh, for submitting emails. Again, Save the City podcast at gmail.com haven't gotten any voicemails yet 314-669-1840 do that that's the easiest way and then you don't have to listen to me butcher these emails when i read them but i'm going to read the email that we got from justin justin thank you very much for sending the email justin says hey matt just some thoughts on this week's episode first on flash 202 flash of two worlds i thought barry's new lightning trick was very cool I never read Flash comics, so one of my concerns were the extent of Barry's powers, but they always come up with something new and fun ways to showcase his abilities. I understand Barry's caution, but he was quite bitchy to the handsome speedster number one. Like, what gives? The fact that the father pieced out last week soon as he got out of prison, I'm still not over. I suppose he's got some lost time to make up for, but man, he chucked up some serious deuces. Cisco is having visions. That's fun. I also thought it was funny how he was like, oh, hey, you naming the bad guys is my thing, but I'll let you have this one. And as far as Arrow 402, the candidate goes, I really like how this version of Team Arrow is working together. There is a shot later in the ep where the four quote unquote masks drop down from the broken glass ceiling completely in sync. That was pretty cool. When and how did Palmer's company take a nosedive? I must have missed that part. Did he put too much time and money into his tech suit and gadgets? I'm confused. I also forgot what even happened to him. He can't be dead. Oliver tried it when he said, Oh, my girlfriend runs a million, multi-million dollar company, so we have money now. Like, girl, where have you been getting all your funds from up until this point? Because you've been broke for a while now. Thea went full-on feral this week, and I'm not mad about it. Like she literally lit a dude afire, and Oliver had to dismiss her like twice. So her and Laurel are sneaking off with a half-decomposed corpse to the Mecca for assassins. Should be fun. Felicity pestering Oliver about a code name throughout the ep was cute and funny. Oh, and that Damien Dark guy is sufficiently creepy and intimidating, but I like him. Oliver running for mayor. I have no words. Ha ha. Anyway, great couple of episodes. Obviously looking forward to next week. All right. Thank you, Justin. Uh, yeah, Palmer is allegedly dead. Apparently dead. I use those words carefully uh, because like I was talking about with the Lazarus pit, maybe they can pick up little chunks of him and throw him in there and he'll come out whole. Um, but evidently what we're supposed to believe is that he blew up with the explosion of the atom suit when he was working on, uh, that at the time last season. Um, the idea of using this Larry Lazarus pit with Sarah, though, I just wonder if anybody will stay dead for very long. Ray Palmer may be back. Um, 
And I, I think if you look to the casting of the Legends of Tomorrow series, which will be out in, uh, I think, January, then you'll see uh, a lot of familiar faces. And I'm sure that this Lazarus Pit is going to be a way to bring a lot of them back. There are ramifications to that, though. I mean, look what is happening to Thea, like you brought up. I, that's just bothersome to me. Uh, I guess if they find a solution for Thea, then they'll have a solution for everybody and they can go about their business. But at some point, they have to get rid of this Lazarus pit. That's just my opinion, but I, I think they really do because otherwise, um, you're not going to feel any peril for these characters at all. Or the villains, either. I mean, I think it can go both ways. If if Malcolm Merlin decides to, to, to put his organization up for hire and come back from the dead for a certain price, you know, that could be something too. So it's not just limited to our heroes here and we'll have to see how all of that works out. Um, but that's it. That's all we've got for this podcast. Thank you very much, Justin, for the email and we will, uh, move on to next week and, uh, I'll give you the episodes then cause I don't have them in front of me. What the, what the episode titles will be for next week. I think, uh, the arrow one is restoration. Um, maybe the flash one is family of rogues. I can't remember, but don't forget again. I love to hear your feedback. Save this city podcast.wordpress.com. That's your one stop shop where you'll find all of the contact links and you'll hear them again by Mr. Announcer guy right now. This is Matt. Take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840, or send email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at SaveThisCityPod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.